like those old songs. Anybody? Yeah. Let's turn to Luke chapter 10. Those old songs, there's something special about the fact that saints from all over the world for a long, long time have been praying those same prayers in their songs, and we get to step into that in a very cool way. Luke chapter 10 is where we're going to be for the next few minutes as we bring the lights up for you. Um, Although the lights create heat, so if we want to turn them off, that's fine too. Uh, Luke chapter 10 is where I was able to, um, to hang out for most of the summer in the community groups. So as John said at the beginning, uh, we're very grateful as staff and elders for the opportunity to come into, into your groups and spend some time with you, giving the leaders a break, and um, just to be able to... Uh, to see the uniqueness of each group. Uh, and I know in some cases there are groups pushed together, but it's, it's weird how the, all the groups, they're like people. You know, they have, like pers- they have personalities and they have quirks. And so it's cool to see that stuff up close. And I uh, appreciate you guys letting us in for that. Uh, the topic for the summer was it, was, it was all kind of revolved around this idea of order. And order is something that, that really God uh, has, he's kind of been, uh, kind of hammering on us as a congregation about this for a while. And I think some of it is because if you were to look at a demographic breakdown of our congregation, we, we're really saturated in the like, uh, like married with young children category. Like we're like a bell curve, and that's the middle of the curve, you know. And because of that, there's, there's just so much pulling on us all the time, you know. And so order becomes very difficult because... It seems like there's a lot of chaos, you know. So there was chaos before, like if you look at the at the lifespan of a of a of a family, there was chaos before um, before kids, you know, and then after kids, it just it not only like doubles and triples, and you just never really know what's going on. And there's just all kind of stuff, and they get older, and there's birthday parties, and there's soccer, and there's just so much stuff that's going on, and that's not really gonna slow down, you know. And so I think that that God has been Tending to our congregation, kind of helping us manage uh, the fact that a lot of you guys are in that part of life. I'm not in that part of life, but I know that a lot of you are. So order becomes really important, especially when things are crazy. You know, um, I use this. Uh, this might not make a lot of sense, but like if if you go to the grocery store and you need like two things, you probably don't make a list, and you probably don't even get a buggy or a basket. You just kind of run in, and get your stuff, and come back out. But if you're going and you have to buy like 600 things, you probably have a list. You probably have two or three buggies. Maybe you bring some helpers along, something like that. You get organized whenever there's more stuff on the list. So when life is really crazy, order becomes more important, not less important. But it's so easy to just throw everything out the window and kind of like downshift into like management mode. You know, like I just got to get through today. I got to get through this week. I got to get through whatever. Um, and so I, I, I want to tonight kind of bring some closure to the, to the summer topic. Um, I know that uh, with people being in and out with vacations and different things that maybe you missed one of the topics, don't hesitate to shoot an email to the staff or any of the elders. Uh, we all have access to the handouts and all that kind of stuff if you want to kind of catch up a little bit. 
But what I want to do tonight is just kind of offer some perspective after having visited with all the groups and uh, talking with some of the elders, getting some of their feedback, getting Meg's feedback. Um, I want to ask you a question that will just kind of float around a little bit tonight. And this is, this is the question. Um, what kind of person do you really want to be? You don't need to answer it. But think about it. What, what kind of person do you want to be? I think it's a good question. I think it's one that's maybe not asked a whole lot. Maybe we don't ask that enough of ourselves or of one another. Of exactly who are you trying to become? What kind of person are you trying to become? Maybe we don't ask this because we don't really slow down very much or whatever. And, but I was thinking about it today. You know, maybe, maybe we don't ask that because when you get to the, uh, the point in life where you kind of feel like you know who you are, um, maybe we settle into that too much. You know? Like maybe we accept things about ourselves that we should not be accepting. Maybe there are some things about us we would like to see change, but they haven't changed. So maybe you get to a, a point in your age or in your uh, maturing or just in your stage of life where you're like, look, this is, this is how I am. This is me. And maybe that's not a healthy place to be. Maybe we should always be asking ourselves and reminding ourselves, okay, who, what kind of person am I trying to, to become? What kind of person do I want to be? Um, the issue here is, is one of formation. When you enter into a relationship with Jesus as your Savior and as your Lord, we enter into a lifetime of being formed into His image. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says that we're being transformed into, into His image from one degree of glory to another. That It's this progressive growth and maturing where we're always changing. And so if, if any of us have settled into maybe accepting things about our lives that are not not in the image of our creator and they're not who we want to be, we have to reject this idea that you're just kind of stuck there. That that's just who you are and how you are. The idea is formation. And so perhaps asking ourselves and reminding ourselves who exactly are we trying to be, maybe that will be helpful. In Luke chapter 10, we have a story of these two sisters, and I've preached on it before and I've visited with all the groups. And I want to use this as a jumping off point tonight um, so there's two sisters, one's named Martha and one's named Mary. Maybe you're familiar with the passage, but uh, let's look at verse 38. It says, Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. If the question is, what kind of person do you want to be? We have to realize that that question drives a lot of our existence. And so in this story, we have these two sisters that, that can kind of help categorize us a little bit. And I don't want to over, overdo this, but uh, so you have Mary, you have Martha. So Martha, uh, based on the story, we know that it says she was distracted with much serving. Note that she was not distracted by something terrible. You know, she wasn't, um, 
She wasn't worshiping Satan. She wasn't dealing drugs. She wasn't like doing anything like off the wall. She was serving. Jesus was coming to her house. Jesus was coming to her house. Think about that for a second. Would you be straightening up a little bit? Would you be vacuuming a little bit? Would you be hiding some things? Maybe bringing out, you know, like, we need more crosses. We need more crosses, you know, <laughs> something. Uh, quick, write verses on the doorpost. That's, that's a thing, right? You know, um, you'd, there'd be a little bit of pressure. And not only is Jesus coming, but there's always people around him. So his whole entourage was coming, and it's her house. And it's, the, uh, it's, the, it's, it's Israel, you know, and the hospitality is really huge. And so she was probably uh, really excited, but also feeling the, the, the pressure that's there. And she was distracted by all her serving. Um, she was obviously battling comparison. She uh, had a little sibling, you know, a little envy there. How come my sister's not helping me? Um, well... Well, I'll talk about this in a second. But, so she has this sort of comparison thing. And then it says that she, Jesus kind of calls her out a little bit and says, You're anxious and you're troubled about many things. So there's this, this inner chaos that's going on. She's distracted with serving. She's comparing herself to her sister. She's frustrated. And this anxiety and trouble is there that may not be connected to any of those things. That might be an independent thing. We don't, we don't really know. But there's a lot going on with her in this, in this story. The other sister, Mary, where is she? She's sitting at Jesus' feet, listening. Now, it says it's at Martha's house, not Mary's house. So Mary didn't have any responsibilities. None that we could tell. So you have one who's seated at Jesus' feet, listening, choosing the good portion, soaking up whatever Jesus has to say. Martha is off distracted, serving, chaotic, you know. And so if this story, if we were going to take this story and say, which of these two would you want to be? None of us would say, I'd really like to be Martha. I mean, I am Martha already. I might as well just keep on being Martha, you know. None of us would choose the chaotic, distracted, like burdened, com- like competitive, whatever one. We're going to choose the one who's seated at the feet of her Lord and her rabbi. He's, you know, That's who we want to be. But my question will be, so how do, you, how do you become that way? How do you get to be there? How do you stay there? And a lot of us, I think, probably, we probably like bounce back and forth, you know? That there are probably times when, when you, you have, a, there's that, that merriness about you. When you're there and you're, you really are, you're present with your Lord and your focus and your learning. And, and the, there, there really is like, it's just like, you're isolated from everything else, you know. And maybe that's during corporate worship for you, you know. Or maybe there's, maybe there's a time of the day when you're kind of by yourself. Or, you know, whatever that might look like. But then, like, life starts happening. And, like, you can kind of ping-pong back over and you're Martha, you know, distracted, anxious, troubled, you know, that kind of stuff. And maybe the exhaustion of going back and forth is just too much. And so maybe you just kind of land in the Martha camp a lot, you know. The thing is, if we're answering the question, what kind of person do you want to be? None of us is going to say Martha. We're all going to say Mary. But I think we kind of feel like it's impossible. I think there's a part of us that has just settled in and, and just accepted the fact that things are crazy and I'm who I am and I'm just not really ever going to change. So I'm just going to manage. I'm going to just get through it. Jesus doesn't fuss at Martha for serving. 
He corrects her because she's anxious and she's troubled. He doesn't say you should be seated like your sister. He says she's chosen the good portion. That's what you need to do. You can choose the good portion while you serve, but you're not doing that. So, how do you like? How do you get there? You know, how do you how do you become the kind of person that is like Mary, that is choosing the good portion? How do you have Martha's level of responsibilities? But you'll yet still have a heart that looks like Mary's. Because the thing is, I think it's easy to look at Mary and say, well, it wasn't her house, it wasn't her gig, it wasn't her whatever. Of course she could do that. And you look at, you look at your own life, and, and we identify with Martha a little bit, because it's like, well, I have a job. Maybe you have a spouse. Maybe you have kids. Maybe you have responsibilities. Maybe you have family. Maybe you, have, you just have stuff to do, stuff to do, stuff to do, stuff to do. And so there's a part of you that's like, yeah, if I didn't have any responsibilities, like Mary, then I could do that. And I totally would. But things keep coming. Life keeps happening just over and over and over again. So if you want to be that kind of person, you need to know that it's possible, but you also need to know exactly how it happens and where it happens. And there how it happens is in a, like through Jesus being in the yoke with him. And where it happens is through Jesus being in the yoke with him. That Jesus invites us into this relationship with him. He says, come, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. You know, you're burdened and I'll give you rest. He's talking, this is in Matthew 11, it's like 28, 29, and 30. He's talking to people who are always trying to keep the rules He's talking to like, the, the faithful Jewish community who were trying to keep not only commandment one and two, but also the Ten Commandments and also the hundreds of other laws that the rabbis had just piled and piled and piled upon them. And they were always trying to keep the rules, always trying to keep the rules. And it was this burden, this weight, this just complete disaster of a life that they were dragging around and they were tired and they were worn out. And Jesus says, come to me and I'll give rest to your soul. Because I've come to bring grace to free you from that burden of the law. That's the context of that, of that idea. He's saying, come into the yoke with me. You know, the, where you have like a beam of wood and you have two animals that are, are, are basically tied, linked together. And you have an older animal and a younger animal. And the younger one learns from the older one. That's what he's saying. He's saying, I'll be the older one. You be the younger one. Get into my yoke. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. You'll find rest for your soul. I know that you're tired. I know that you're worn out. You, you, you just enter into this and trust and learn from me. That's where, that's where the transformation from chaotic Martha into peaceful Mary, that's where that happens. And that's it's how, it's, it's how it happens. It's where it happens. So in this dialogue, when Jesus tells Martha, he says, Martha... Look, you're anxious and troubled about many things. Mary has chosen the good portion. I'll not be taken away from her. That's another way of him saying, hey, um, you're weary and you're burdened, so come, come to me. Mary has come to me. She has taken my yoke upon her. She's learning from me. I've given her rest, deep soul rest. You can do the same thing. 
So the context is one of salvation to the Jews, freedom from the law, but there's also all these other lessons that are in there. We learn about discipleship, we learn about relationship with Christ, we learn about growing and learning over time. We learn about all these things in those, in those few little verses. That's where that happens. And if you are sitting there and you're looking at your life and you're saying, I really, I know that I have a lot of Martha going on and I hate it and I don't know what to do about it. Jesus extends that same invitation to us. He says, learn from me. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. I'll I'll teach you how to move from one column to the other. From the Martha column into the Mary column. I'll, I'll, I'll make you into the person that you want to be. So what happens, what happens in the yoke? And this is where things get, uh, or it's easy to be dismissive of what I'm saying because you feel like you've heard it before. But in the yoke, there are, are two very important things that happen in your relationship with Jesus, in his, um, his teaching and instructing of you as the younger, less experienced uh, you know, donkey or whatever. Um, as, I don't know why I picked donkey. I just did. So... Um, as the younger animal in this uh, situation, he, there are two things that go on all the time. One would be abiding, and the other would be, uh, would be the, what I'm going to call exercises. Abiding and exercises. Now, sometimes, uh, you know, abiding is kind of one of those words, like here at the ring. If, you, if you're here for the first time, there's, there's just a vernacular that has developed here over time, and there are things that we kind of throw around, and we don't, maybe not even, we might not always even know what they mean, but we, we say them a lot, you know. So abiding is, is one of those terms that you will, will hear a good bit, and sometimes we think that abiding and spiritual disciplines are the same thing, and they are not. Abiding is not the same thing as the spiritual exercises that we've been talking about over the summer. Abiding is this constant interpersonal relationship and dependence that you have on Christ. So when Jesus talks about abiding, he, he uses like the trunk of a tree and the branches. He says those two things are abiding in each other. The trunk is abiding in the, in the branch. The branch is abiding in the trunk. Um, he says in this situation, I'm the trunk, you're the branch. The fruit, that's, that's a whole other thing. Um, but we're inter, there's this interconnection that happens relationally. So abiding, that's all, the, that's all the time, all the time, all the time, all the time, all the time. There's never a moment where you're not abiding. Sometimes in community groups, people say, I really haven't been abiding very much lately. What they mean is they haven't been practicing their disciplines because you can't really not abide. You can't separate yourself from Christ. So your abiding is constant, and whether you know it or not, he's always with you in fullness and goodness and grace, and he's caring for you and shepherding you. And so you're always in the yoke. And so even back in this story, Martha, in her chaos, in her anxiety and in her trouble and in her serving and her comparison and all that stuff, she's still, uh, in, in the sense of what we're talking about, she's still connected. She may not feel connected, but she's still connected. And so on your best day, your worst day, you're always connected. So abiding always happens in the yoke. So through the abiding, just the, that connection, that presence of God, he is making you into who you want to be. He is. You may not be able to look at your progress and be really satisfied with it. But if, you've been, if you have been in a relationship with Jesus as your Savior and as your Lord for years, you're not who you used to be. Maybe you've only you know, progressed a little bit, but you've progressed. You're moving in that direction. 
So you're more like Mary than you used to be, whether you feel like it or not. So be encouraged by that. So one thing, abiding happens all the time. The other thing, though, are these, these exercises, these spiritual practices, spiritual disciplines. This is, this is how it happens. When, when, people, when people will say, yeah, you know, I'm so frustrated because I, I seem to like, keep battling the same stuff I've always battled, you know. And then I'll say, okay, well, um, tell, me kind of what, tell me what your prayer journey like, looks like with this. Like how, how specifically are you praying about this area of transformation in your life? Like, you know, and they'll be like, well, I'm not praying about it. Like, well, what, why are you expecting to grow? You know? You've gotten the exact results you should expect when there's prayerlessness, you know. Not saying that there are no results, but saying like you're not dialed in to be able to know and see them and know what they are if there's, there's no prayer. See, the, the disciplines following Jesus into his practices and placing yourself in the pathway of his love, those things, that's where you become who you want to be. The person that you want to become, that's where it happens. It doesn't happen outside of the yoke, it happens inside of the yoke. Through constant, relational, dependent abiding and intentionally sitting down with the Lord and engaging in these same disciplines that he did. That's how you learn from him. So if, you know, when, when it came time for you to learn how to tie your shoes, someone sat down with you who knew how to tie their shoes and they walked you through it. When it came to, to learn how to, to write uh, and read and that kind of stuff, someone who knew what they were doing taught you how to do it. Jesus, who knows how to do all this stuff, he's going to teach you how. In the yoke, constant abiding, but also intentional, like purpose time where you sit down and you're, I'm going to do this thing that Jesus did. And through me engaging in this actual practice, something is going to happen. I'm going to become a little bit, maybe a smidgen more of the person I want to be. I'm going to be transformed into his image from one degree of glory to another. So I'm going to go into this time of prayer. And then I'm going to come out of this time of prayer. And from one degree to another, I'm going to be more like Jesus. You might not be able to measure it. You might not be able to like, you know, journal about it or whatever. You might not be able to feel it. You know, we love to feel things. But it happens. And maybe like you know, changing the direction of the Titanic or something. Not the Titanic. A big old boat. <laughs> uh, Titanic's a bad example. It may be like that. You know, <laughs> maybe changing the direction of this massive ship where it happens like so subtly you don't ever notice it, but it happens. And so we as Americans, we like to try something once or twice and then we give up if we feel like it doesn't do any good. But the yoke is that's a that's a demonstration of faith and trust. When Jesus says, engage in, these pra- in this practice, I'll make you more like me, we say, okay, cool. Sometimes I, like I think about, this is probably, it's probably a dangerous road to go down. I think about the Karate Kid. And I've talked about this before. But you know the Karate Kid, like the old Karate Kid, not the new Karate Kid when they messed it up? Um, <laughs> the old Karate Kid, you know, he starts off and he's teaching him to, you know, put the wax on the car and, like, paint the fence and, you know, nail the boards and all that kind of stuff. And then in this brilliant, you know, cinematic scene, he puts them all together and he's like a karate master and wins a tournament, a tournament, as he says. So he wins the tournament and everything's great and he's the best around and it's all great, right? And, but do you remember, like, the part of the, of the, of the story that's compelling to me is that the karate kid, a.k.a. Daniel LaRusso, 
um, he thought it was so stupid, you know. It's like, why is, this, why is this guy making me come and wax all the cars? Why do I have to paint the fence, like, twice? Why do I have to nail all the boards on, all that kind of stuff? He'd, he thought it was so stupid. And then when Mr. Miyagi started putting everything together, and he realized, like, oh, he's teaching me discipline, he's teaching me this, he's teaching me this, 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 you put it all together, then you can fight. In a very, in a much more deeper, more deep and compassionate and loving and awesome way, every time we engage in those practices, it's kind of the same thing. It may seem kind of pointless to us. But when Jesus starts adding the meaning to it, and you start to string those things together, and we, you start to see that transformation that happens, it's amazing. In the yoke, you're abiding you're engaging in these exercises. And from there, you navigate your way through life. There's a short list. From these things, we navigate our way through everything life brings our way. Victory, struggle, joy, fear, suffering, confusion, trouble, success, failure, decisions, heartache, disappointment, cultural shifts, unbelievable grace, the dark night of the soul, all of these are informed by, by the yoke. They are guided by the yoke. That Jesus in the yoke with us, through abiding and through these exercises, this is how you get through your life and become, from one degree of glory to another, the person that you want to be. That's how it happens. So everything we discussed this summer, these are all, these are like little classrooms where this transformation happens. We talked about prayer, we talked about solitude, silence, Sabbath, rest, hospitality. We didn't even get to fasting, simplicity, tithing, service, studying the Bible, memorizing the Bible. All these disciplines, all these things that we see Jesus doing, and he invites us into the yoke and says, let's engage in this practice. All of these things, all of these things are forming us into the people that we want to be. Two points that I made in my group this summer that I want to reemphasize, not because it's my group, but because I think they're worth emphasizing. Each of these gifts of grace, they, they do two things. One, they bring order from the chaos. That when we are praying, when we are students of the word, when we are hospitable to those who are strangers, when we are setting aside time to rest, when we are devoting ourselves to the Sabbath, and silence, and solitude, and when all these things are happening, everything that is crazy about our lives, it gets ordered. Life is not about balance. That's like the, it's just the, like one of the biggest lies we buy into. Like, oh, I'm just having, really struggling to balance everything out. Meg talked about this in her group, that balance implies everything weighs the same. But it doesn't. Your, your kids, like they don't carry the same amount of weight in your life as Netflix. They better not, right? Balance is not, the, is not the key. Order is the key. John Orberg, he's the first person I ever heard, or I didn't hear him say it, I read it, uh, said that Jesus, Jesus didn't live a life of balance. He was completely out of balance. He lived a life of perfect order. And those are very different things. And Dallas Willard, he says this, he says that even, even the muddiest of water will become clear if you let it sit still long enough. And when we engage in these practices, the ones that Jesus is leading us into, 
the chaotic muddiness of life, that dirt settles, it settles, it settles. And things become clear, and you're discerning. You know who he is, you know who you are, you know who other people are. You're able to spot the lies that are coming your way. You're able to grab onto the truth of God's word. You're able to walk in honesty and openness and community with each other. It's all there. These disciplines bring, chaos, bring order out of chaos. Life's bringing you chaos. Jesus says, yoke with me. Let's get some order. But the second thing is that they not only bring order out of chaos, but they propel you back into the things that are most important. In the summer, I used the illustration of a plumb line, but then I was driving over here today, and I was like, that's really dumb. Because a plumb line doesn't swing, you know? It just kind of hangs there. I was like, what swings? A trapeze artist. It's perfect. So let me, let me re- redo this a little bit. So think about a trapeze artist. Is anybody here a trapeze artist? Okay, good. I don't want to be corrected by, that's not how it works, you know, whatever. Um, Based on my thorough knowledge of trapezery, uh, I don't know, I'm sorry. So, uh, you're at the circus or something like that, guys or a girl, either way, way up there, up high, and there's like a rope, and there's like a swing, and they like jump off, and they swing down, downward, and they come to the bottom, and they maybe swing onto something else, or I don't know, they hook onto someone, or they do all this crazy stuff. Mike Breen, he talks about Sabbath in this way. He says that people tend to think of Sabbath as, uh, as you've been working all week, so that's the, that's the trapeze artist up on the platform, that's you, you're working all week, and then when Sabbath comes, you're like, yes, I can rest, and you swing from work into the Sabbath. He says, no, it's really the opposite. He said, work is the bottom, work is the bottom of the ark. Sabbath is the platform. So, so you're down here and you're working all week. Sabbath is when the bar is pulled back and you climb up to the top of it and you sit there and you rest and you find solitude and you find silence and you, you hang out with your friends or your family. You do things that fill you up you don't toil, you don't work, you don't do all that stuff. And from there, you grab onto that bar and you swing back into work. Or whatever, whatever is important in your life. From a place of prayer, you swing into your marriage. From a place of, uh, of truth and scripture, and a, pl- a place of um, like deep soul rest, you, you swing into parenting. How many of you who are parents would say, I'd like, to be, I'd like to parent from chaos. Where's the chaos platform? I'd like to swing from chaos into parenting. No. Why? Because you love your kids. Your kids are too important for that. They deserve a better you than that, right? The disciplines put us up on that platform so that we swing into the most important things of life as the people that we want to be. You swing into the job he's given you, the people that he's given you, all the things he's given you. You are propelled into that from the disciplines. When we don't engage in these practices, that chaos and that muddiness just builds up and builds up and builds up. And we're not swinging into those things. We're just hanging there. And we hang there and we hang there and we hang there. And the people around you, they get the chaos they get like chaotic you. 
instead of in the yoke with Jesus, you, you know? So that's what the disciplines are. They're not a checklist. They're not a, they're not a, a, um, a group of things that you like, feel like you have to do in order to be pious and holy and good. They're also not a thing, list of things that you need to feel guilty about because you haven't done them. You know? None of that is why Jesus gave them to us. Jesus gave us these gifts, these exercises. He invites us into the yoke with him, all of these things, because he knows that life is crazy and that we have got to have some clarity. We've got to have some help in becoming who we want to be. So that's where the disciplines come in. That's why they're so beautiful. You hear, we hear a common objections, you know. People say, well, I would love, kind of like with, with, with the Mary-Martha deal. It's like, well, I would love to be like Mary and just sit there, but I don't have time. Well, let's be honest. We have, we have the time. We, we devote ourselves to things that are completely fruitless. Far too much to, to really say we don't have time. That time might be, you might have to work for it. You might have to get organized for it. You might have to say no to some things. You might have to, you know, all that kind of stuff. But the, the time is there. And the things that are most important to us are too important for us to just shrug it off and say we don't have time. Jesus and people are too important to just be dismissive like that. We have the time. The cost of not making the time is greater. It's too high a price to pay. Sometimes people say, oh, my personality doesn't work that way. You know? Especially when it comes to like silence, solitude, Sabbath, rest, those kinds of things. You say, well, that's just not how I'm made. Well, is that, I go back to the question from the beginning. Is that, is that who you want to be? I mean, do you, think, do you think in Israel, do you think those farmers, when the crops were ripe, and you're like, all right, it's, time, it's harvest time, we've got to go, and they're like, oh, no, Sabbath, dude. You think that they, were, they loved sitting there looking at these, like, all, their, like, all the money, how they're going to feed their family, all their income, all their work, all their labor, to have a whole day lost where you aren't able to pick the grain and all that kind of stuff? I'm sure it had to be frustrating. Unless they grew up with every seventh day, this is what you do. Unless they grew up with it being so normal and they realized, like, oh, this is the day when we get to rest and enjoy one another and enjoy God and enjoy the fact that we cannot go out there and pick all that stuff today and He's still going to provide for us. Because our provider is not the land, our provider is our God. So maybe, sometimes within our own personalities and our struggles, we need to enter into some of these practices so that He can form us into the kind of people who, um, who work against some of our natural leanings. So if your, natural, if your natural disposition is toward laziness, then maybe getting up early to spend time in the Bible is a practice you need to engage in so that He can form you into someone who's not lazy. The other end of the extreme, if, if uh, the other end of it, like what it, if you're the, the kind of person, or if you're like, man, like I got to cut my grass like right now, like oh, but it's my Sabbath rest, and like well, I can't rest until then. Maybe you need to sit there and let that grass grow at a rapid rate, <laughs> you know. Maybe you need to sit there and be frustrated. Maybe you need to feel the angst. 
Maybe you need to feel that angst over and over and over again for a long time until you're formed into the kind of person that's like, you know what? The grass is just the grass. Today is not about the grass. Today is about my creator and his creation, enjoying all those things. And sometimes people, you look at this list and it's just like, man, there's just great, just one more thing to do. You know, Ringo talked about hospitality. You know, it's like, great, now I've got to throw dinner parties for people, you know. It's like, no, there's, there's something reordering in our, in our lives about taking people who don't have a sense of family and let's treat them like family. Whether it is having people over for dinner or if it's about, it's about going across the room at a worship service and talking to people that you don't know, making sure like, like they're at your family gathering, you know, that kind of thing. Whatever that looks like for you, it's not about adding one more thing. It's actually about doing less. Because to practice hospitality, to pray, to do all these things, we have to say no to some other things. Sometimes you just got to turn the TV off. Sometimes you just need to go to bed. I mean, what a great message. That sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is take a nap. Amen and amen. It's not about doing more stuff. It's actually about doing less stuff. It's about eliminating the fruitless things that don't matter. Time in the yoke with Jesus so that we're propelled into the things that matter the most, that matter for eternity. If you like cutting grass, you can cut grass forever on the new earth and you have the best lawnmower and have the best old time and that's fine. There's so much that we put our hands to right now that can just, it can just wait. It needs to wait. So who do you want to be? What kind of person do you want to become? The answer, like the real answer, you know, Sunday school answers are called Sunday school answers because they're usually the right answer. So the Sunday school slash right, correct answer is I want to be my, like my rabbi. I want to be Jesus. That's what I want to be. You don't need to dismiss that as unattainable. And there's probably a better question that could be asked. Maybe instead of saying, who do you want to be? Maybe, you, maybe the question is, who does Jesus want me to be? And not, not in the sense that he's like, what is he expecting me to be? Like, what is his deep desire for your life? Like, what is he really championing you to become? Who is he championing you to become? Him. That's why he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. That's what he wants for us. But the thing is, we have to want it first. So who do we want to become? What kind of person do you want to be formed into? And from there, let that drive you into the things of life. Let that drive you into how you spend your time, what you do with your free time. If you're, if, if, if you're married with kids, what, do, what happens when the kids go to sleep? Is there going to be quality, soul-filling time spent with you and the Lord, with you and your spouse or whatever? Like, How are you going to fill that, that time what are you, how are you going to use your weekends? How are you going to, how are you going to get ready to go to work? How, what, how are you going to get on a platform like a trapeze artist? And what is going to propel you into the important things in life? We probably need to, in part, begin by just confessing our own Martha-ness. You know? Maybe coming before Jesus and saying, I am anxious and troubled about many things. I'm jealous of my sister. I am distracted with these really good things. 
And even though my sister's driving me crazy, I kind of want to be more like her. Can you help me? And his response will be, yeah, come to me. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. Find rest for your soul. Be ready to follow him into the things that he did. Be ready to place yourself in the pathway of his love. Be ready to train for godliness and grow in your knowledge of his grace. Jesus died to free us from sin, but also to restore us. And so maybe restoration is what you need. Maybe you really need to get confident in who you're trying to become. And let that, let that be a driving force in your life. I hope that this has encouraged you this summer. I hope that it's given us all some things to think about. I can tell you this, after going to, I, only, I went to five of the six groups, uh, you'd talk about this stuff over and over and over again, and eventually you're like, okay, all right. And so I know all of us hopefully are walking away with some things. So we're going to just, uh, we're going to do kind of what we do normally. And it's so good to be back in here where we can kind of have some more normal stuff. So we're going to sing in response. I don't know what God is stirring in you. Um, but Ringo will be up here. He'll be serving communion. Um, if, if maybe stepping to the table is part of what you need to go forward in becoming who you are. And in acknowledging that you need the body and the blood of Jesus and knowing that he's offering that to you, he's extending that to you, the body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ poured out for you, here to, to not only save you from sin but redeem you and restore you to make you into the kind of person you want to be. If that's a form of response for you tonight, John will be up here serving. Um, if you want to stand and sing, awesome. If you want to come and kneel and pray, that's awesome. But let's spend the few more minutes we have before it gets all chaotic again. Let's engage in the, in the practices of worship, which is responding to his worth. And let's trust that this is transformative for us as well. So why don't you stand as I pray for us and the band comes back up. God, I thank you for your grace to us. Thank you that you could have left us all alone to fend for ourselves and uh, to figure out how to make it through the best and worst that life has to offer and just have to figure it out. I'm thankful that in your compassion and your love for us and in your sovereignty and your wisdom, you knew that You knew that we would need, we would not only need you, but that you would want to walk us through life in this way. That you would want to be a part of our formation. And the fact that the answer to the question, what kind of person do you want to be? And to the question, what kind of person does Jesus want me to be? The fact that those are, it's the same answer to both questions. That your deepest desire for us is to be restored into the image of our Creator, transformed from one degree of glory to another day by day. 
We thank you for the loving way that you carry us through that. And pray, God, as we, we just respond to it, that maybe some things would come alive in us tonight. Maybe we would refuse to just accept the grind of life. That we would stop just putting our head down and trying to bear through it. But that we would look to you and the beautiful invitation that you give us to come to you and learn from you and find a rest for our soul. Help us to keep in mind that this is not a game. This is, this is the, real, the real thing. This is what we're here for. I pray that we would not shrug these things off, but we would embrace them. We would run to you. And so whether it's stepping to the table or kneeling to pray or standing to sing or maybe just sitting and just listening to all that's going on, help us to respond in these few moments before we dismiss in a way that is honoring to you, in a way that triggers some things in us.